We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. And just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, "Come."
Welcome to Morning Worship in the parish of Kasluchur and Gosainen. It's great to have you with us for this online service today. My name is Adrian and I'm the vicar and I want to encourage you to take a look at our website where you'll find a little bit more about what we're about as we seek to know Jesus better, to grow as his disciples and to share his love by being the hands and feet of Jesus in the community that we seek to serve. Today's service is going to be led by some of our lay worship leaders, by Sonia and Karen, by Cos, Ethan and Jill. And I'm sure that you'll join me in praying that they'll be blessed as they share, and I hope too that you'll be blessed as you listen. But as we begin our service, let's pray together. O Lord, we beseech you to mercifully hear the prayers of your faithful people as they call upon you, and grant that they may both perceive and know what things that they ought to do, and have grace and power to faithfully fulfil them. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's worship together.
Ezekiel 18, verses 1 to 4 and 25 to 32. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, you Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they have committed, they will die. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed, and does what is just and right, they will save their life, because they consider all the offences they have committed and turn away from them. That person will surely live. They will not die. Yet the Israelites say, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, people of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offences, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Sonia. In this reading, God tells the people through Ezekiel the prophet that they were no longer able to continue to quote this proverb about the land of Israel. They sang the words of this proverb believing that they were being punished, not because of anything they had done, but for the sins of their forefathers. They considered themselves as victims of the sins of their previous generation, and because of this, they were powerless to do anything about it. And as they continued to blame their ancestors, they even blamed God for being unjust. Their sinful ways had created a chasm between them and God, and they continued to reject him, believing that he was God who was obviously in the wrong, and this justified their cycle of bad behaviour. We know that children can learn their parents' bad behaviours and their sinful ways, but we also know that they are not bound to perpetuate such ways. However, God warns them at the very beginning of the chapter that he does have the right to punish them for their sins. Everyone belongs to God. He is the creator of all. Everyone is accountable to him and not the other way around. God wanted the people to understand that they have to take personal responsibility for their own sins and not blame the previous generation. Through Ezekiel, God tries to guide the people away from their bad behaviour and bad attitude and back onto the right path. I wonder how many times we've done the same thing. How often have we said, I was born this way? It's in my genes. It's a family trait. It's the way I was brought up. It's the way things were then. It's so easy for us to blame our background, blame others, blame the times, blame our surroundings or blame the friends we hung around with for the areas of our character, behaviour, habits and our misdemeanours that stop us from living a life of complete integrity. But God was asking the people through Ezekiel, what do you people mean by singing this proverb? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth, teeth are set on edge. God was saying, stop singing this song because it's just not true. He was pleading with the people to return back to God and to amend their evil and sinful ways, to stop blaming the previous generation and realign themselves with him. We all belong to God and our future is in his hands. Every soul will either live with God in eternity or die apart from God in eternity. God has given us the choice so that we can choose the path that we want for ourselves. Ezekiel tries to tell the people that it's time for them to wake up and take control of their own lives, that they'll never be judged for what has been done to them, but rather they will be judged for what's done by them. Ezekiel says, choose to do things differently and choose to take responsibility for yourselves and stop making excuses for what has been done by your forefathers. In verse 31 it says, 
rid yourselves of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. This is surely a cry from God, calling the people to repent of all their sins. God's heart breaks when we are separated from him. But as for all those who continue to sin, he gives them time and opportunities to change direction from the wrong path and onto the path where they can choose to journey with him. It's so encouraging to know that we believe in a God who accepts us as we are and when we acknowledge our sinful ways and repent of them, he forgives us immediately. As we begin to make the changes to the different areas of our lives, the Holy Spirit plants a little of himself in our hearts. As we begin to surrender ourselves little by little and step by step, we become more and more like Jesus. from Philippians 2 verses 1 to 13. 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make it my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we look at the reading, it is important to note that the entire letter to the Philippians was written by Paul while he was locked up in prison. Prison is not a pleasant space, and he had every right to be miserable, grumbly, and inactive. But he wasn't. He chose an attitude of humility, gratitude, and praise. Not because his current situation was a blessing, but because he knew that God wasn't finished with him, he knew this was a training ground, and he had faith that there would be a deliverance to something much, much better. Before this passage, Paul had spent chapter 1 praising the church in Philippi for what God was doing through them. Even in prison he had heard of what they were doing, and he took that spare time to write them encouragements to further that growth. It is evident that he loves them and holds them in very high regard. He goes on in this second chapter to encourage them to further their relationship with one another in humility and love. Paul touches on two qualities, both perfectly modelled by Jesus himself, humility and obedience. Before we can come before God with both of these qualities, we must understand who God is, what he's done for us, and the position he has given us as co-heirs to his kingdom with Christ. Paul mentions even in this passage what Jesus suffered to bring us this opportunity. God sent his only son as a human to live and die for our sins, to create a bridge for us to live blamelessly in eternity with him. To appreciate the scale of this sacrifice, we must first understand what we have been saved from. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. From the moment we come into the world, we are born into sin. We are an imperfect species in an imperfect world deserving of death. But Jesus, who is by nature blameless and not deserving of death, came to take that burden upon himself so that by believing in him as our saviour, we can take ownership of his perfection. 
Now when God looks at each one of us, bumbling and imperfect as we are, he sees Jesus' perfect perfection and grants us eternal life in his kingdom. This is the greatest act of selfless grace in history. Earthly rulers will spend a lifetime working for a position of power and authority, trampling competitors on the way up the ladder and sacrificing time and freedom to achieve their goals. Once they have earned that title or status, they, they can claim to be accomplished, entitled and powerful. Unlike a businessman or ruler, uh, we have been given the highest honour and position of co-heirs with Christ, as mentioned in Romans 8 verse 17, uh, without a single accomplishment of our own. Nothing that God has given us has been earned by our own efforts. Uh, this is the very nature of grace and why Paul is putting an emphasis on humility for the believers in Philippi. Why should we take prideful ownership of our status above any others? Jesus was literally God on earth, and instead of ruling or showing off, he washed his followers' feet, ate with tax collectors, and eventually died a long and painful death to save the very men and women who were oppressing him. We are called to have that very same heart in our lives. We are to take ownership of what has been given to us, then give in the same way to others, to count our own efforts as insignificant, but believe in God's power through us to work his miracles, to walk in confident obedience of his calling for our lives, which is for everyone, which for everyone is to love our neighbours and spread the word of God's gift to us so that others may receive it too. So how do I know if I have this humility thing nailed in my own life? Am I selfless enough? Am I too narcissistic? Uh, can I be active uh, and obedient without becoming prideful in my results? Uh, firstly, if these are questions we're asking ourselves, I think we've already stepped in the wrong direction. One of my favourite quotes is by C.S. Lewis, a Christian author of the Narnia books. He says, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. I'll read that again. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility is certainly not a constant roundabout of self-depreciation, not at all. We are called to be bold and confident in our lives, not to live with a timid spirit, as um, 2 Timothy 1 says. Instead, take Jesus' most important commandment, literally. Look outside of your own life at your neighbours, the people around you, and ask yourself, what do they need? How can I bless them? How can I give the love that God's given me back to someone else? To be truly humble, we must first be confident in our identities through Christ, in the unique personalities, gifts and abilities he's given every one of us. Once we grasp how selfless and sacrificial God is, what he has given us and the adventure he has waiting for us, it becomes a lot easier to push our own selfish egos and desires out of the way and trust that he has our best interests in mind. This is where humility can evolve into trust which then evolves into obedience, and eventually action. God can use and bless a humble heart, but harbouring pride is a surefire way to deny yourself all the blessings and adventure God wants to give you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you fully grasp how powerful God is, the decision to trust and obey him can be a scary one, what will he ask of you? Where will, where will he send you? What if you mess it up? As a child, I used to watch the TV show Blue Peter. When the show was recruiting new presenters, as part of the application process, they would ask what their biggest fear was. If they were selected to present, the show no, showrunners would then make them face that fear on television for entertainment. 
I used to worry that God was like that, that if I signed up for a life living for him, that he'd throw me in the deep end and I wouldn't cope. But God is not like that. The beautiful thing about the church is that we are all made uniquely um, and we all have something different to give. For some people, public speaking would terrify them, but for most preachers, this is something they get excited about. God knows you better than you know yourself and what you can and can't cope with. He will only call you to something you will flourish in. And if you're not able to do it yet, the Holy Spirit is there to empower you. God's humility is not designed to make you smaller. It's so that he can strengthen you, exalt you and bless you. A parent says no to a chocolate bar in mid-afternoon so that the child can enjoy the nutritious feast that is coming later. There is something very exciting about denying yourself your own pleasures in the pursuit of God's plan. Because we have that promise from Jeremiah of so much more than we could imagine ourselves. Skip that chocolate bar and anticipate the spiritual roast dinner God has prepared for you. As like any other skill, obedience and faith are like muscles. The more you work them, the stronger they get. The only way to practice faith is to take that first blind step. That sounds scary, but we are not going in on our own. All we are called to do is listen and be willing to follow. God has the perfect plan, and when the time is right, he will guide you to your calling. Until then, just continue to draw close to him with humility and learn to hear his voice.
now turn to our merciful God in prayer and ask him to focus our devotions according to his will and not our earthly desires, for he knows our weaknesses and battles. Lord God, as we try to follow your perfect example, lead us, all your children, to live our lives in service to your mission on earth. Help us to understand how much you love each one of us and want us to grow closer to you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, empower us to live following the clear example of the Lord Jesus. We will fall short of this, but your love for us is not dependent on our actions. Teach us, though, to genuinely seek forgiveness, to learn from our mistakes, and move onwards in humility. We pray that our actions reflect our belief in God and that this is apparent to others as we live out our daily lives, praying that others, seeing this, may also come to follow the Lord's way and learn to love him. We place all churches, their bishops, clergy, lay workers and worshippers in God's hands and pray for guidance by the Holy Spirit for them in their lives and work. Today we pray especially for John, our Bishop, and for the clergy and people of our diocese, Swansea and Brecon. Lord, bless and guide those who are in positions of world leadership. Help them to bear their responsibility and to govern using your example as their pattern, governing justly, humbly, and for the good of all. As we live through this troubled time with COVID-19, we thank you for our knowledge of the amazing blessing that you never leave us, Lord. We pray for those recently returning to the new normal of life, work, schools, colleges, and ask that they are confident of your love always, throughout their uncertainties. We pray for the sick, known to us and all others suffering everywhere, for ease from their burdens. We also remember the recently departed and current anniversaries. The grieving are remembered too, and we ask you, God, to comfort them and bring healing to encourage and to reassure them. Amid all of life's blessings and challenges, help us all to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep us mindful of the need for us personally to stay close to him, to help build your kingdom on earth and humbly seek your glory before our own. We give thanks that we have you, Lord, an ever-loving Father, who has blessed us in so many ways beyond measure, to whom we can bring these our prayers and thanks. Lord, in Jesus' name, please hear our prayers and bless those we love and bless especially those we ought to love. Amen. As the service draws to a close, can I say a big thank you to our team of worship leaders for an inspirational and encouraging service. I hope, like me, you've been very blessed as you've listened. 
If you'd like to join us for one of our face-to-face -face services, remember that all the guidance on how to do that safely is available on our website, syncath.org.uk, or please do be in touch with us directly for more information. But now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me all oh, his love for me. Jesus died for me Yes, he died